And the raven, never flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting, on the pallid bust of Pallas just above my chamber door. And his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming, and the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the floor. And my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore. You're listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here are your hosts, Christy, Amber, and Scott. Hey, it's Old Timey Crimey. I'm Christy. I'm Scott. And I'm Amber. And we are back again this week to bring you your weekly dose of historical true crime. You know you need it, you know you want it, and we are here to give it to you. Oh, and this... sexy! Sexy! <laughs> this week, we are continuing... What did we call it? Spooky Ween! So, yeah? I'll, I'll take Spooky Ween. That sounds call dirty. <laughs> it does, but that kind of matches, because we have filthy words, so of course we'd have a filthy word for October. So yes, we're continuing our spooky ween cases. Before we do that, real quick, uh, don't forget about our new merch. You can find that at redbubble.com slash people slash oldtimey crimey. And you can also find the link on our social media and in our link tree that is on all of those places it's at the very top. And I'm going to keep adding stuff. I have plans to make a new design this weekend. So hopefully by the time this episode airs, that'll be live. But we'll see because <laughs> scheduling life weird, you know. So don't forget about that. Uh, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It does really, really help us. You know, go to Apple Podcasts, go to Stitcher, all those places where you can do that. The five stars is always nice. You know, we, we never... We'll never look that gift horse in the mouth uh, and, you know, just say something nice about uh, old timey crimey or about your favorite true crime historically that we've done or that you want us to do even. So don't forget about that. And don't forget to come by our social media, old timey crimey on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And with that, we're going to dive right in, guys. Ooh, let's, let's you ready. Let's let's uh, let the listeners know, because we don't oh, yes. you know the Patreon with the. Uh, Let's do the whole, I lost the ability to make word. My brain, it go, poop, poop. So please forgive us this week. We are having some internet issues. The local company is aware of it for reasons. You don't need to know them. Shut up. <laughs> they are aware of the problem. They are getting fixed. But you are going to hear a little bit of vocal pop from a few of us. We do apologize in advance, but we figured... Uh, a little bit of pop is okay. We'd rather get the episode out to you so you have a brand new episode to listen to. So thank you very much for, for sticking with us. Yeah, we appreciate it so, so much. And this is uh, this is quite the episode. I've been looking forward to doing this ever since we put it on a list, but I had to wait for Spooky Ween because it's a great story for Spooky Ween. It is The Life and Death of Edgar Allan Poe. So... He was born on January 19th, 1809 in Boston. His parents were traveling actors. They were named David and Elizabeth. And in fact, his first name, Edgar, may have come from the fact that at the, around the time of his birth, they were performing King Lear, 
which Edgar in that play is the firstborn son of the Earl of Gloucester. I got to see King Lear once live in, in Minneapolis, and the guy playing King Lear just had the thickest Swedish accent you'd ever heard in your life. It was just, oh, what do you see? It's a dagger I see before. You know, just like over the top, not even like, <laughs> like real, like fucking. I, I think I would have enjoyed that. <laughs> oh, Chef Boy RD, like levels of like, oh, look at this, you know. And at the end of it, like everybody's just kind of sitting there watching this. At the end of it, I turned to these two people behind me, complete and total strangers, and I looked them dead in the eye and went, that was the best darn King Lear I ever did here. And they busted up. <laughs> oh, that seems like an interesting casting choice. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he had two siblings. Uh, one was William, who was two years older, and then Rosalie, who was born the year after him. Now, his parents both died in 1811 within three days of each other, but they weren't necessarily together. David had flitted off to find work in 1810. And then when Elizabeth died, she actually had to be married. No, not married. The other thing, buried at midnight. Tomato, tomato. Yeah, right. It feels like the the same thing sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes I welcome the grave. (laughs) (laughs) The church did not want her buried in their cemetery because as an actress... Well, they considered that pretty much the same thing as a sex worker. It was like, eh, actress, prostitute, they're synonyms, right? Even even the people who went to the theater were like, no, actresses are they're pretty much, they're, they're whores. A lot of them whores, you know? It, it's so, the, you know, uh, the, she was up there. She, she said she was an alien, playing alien. She's a professional liar is what she is. <laughs> <laughs> she lies for a living. You can't trust her. Yeah. So yeah, she had to be married. Bar- God, I did it again. Buried at midnight after a lot of nagging and uh, yeah, consecrated grounds and all that bullshit. Um, now Edgar Poe was taken in by John and Francis Allen in Richmond, Virginia, after this, and his siblings were sent to other families. Now, if that uh, if that Allen name sounds familiar, it's because it's now his middle name. They gave him that. Uh, and they actually, especially John, tended to keep uh, Edgar away from his siblings, even though the foster families were trying to reunite them all because the Allens just really didn't want anything to do with that. Uh, they were a well-to-do merchant family. Um, even though they gave him their middle name, he was never officially adopted into the family. Really, Francis was the one who wanted to take him in. And there is some scuttlebutt that John Allen likely couldn't say very much about it since he already had an illegitimate son. So she was probably shoving that in his face a lot. Well. And he wasn't exactly a great guy. He, as far as his merchanting goes, he sold cloth, tobacco, tombstones, wheat, and slaves. So there you have it. And people. Let's just say people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and people, and human beings. You he know. sold human people and wheat. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just you know a, a sentient creature with a soul and the ability to communicate. It doesn't make them worthy of like the vote or anything or basic human rights. 
<laughs> no, not at all. I don't know why I went British with that. Um, should have gone a little bit southern, but not that much because it's Baltimore. So I'm offending everyone right now. Just yeah. across the pond, stop. south of us, everywhere. <laughs> no more. I will not do that again, I promise. Uh, probably. So... Uh, they actually took him overseas and he got some of his education over in the UK, hopped around a couple different schools. And then uh, John Allen's uncle died and that made John Allen even richer. Uh, he was bequeathed some very, very pricey land. It was worth 750000 back then, which is about $20 million in today's money. That's a, that's a that's... lot of money. That's a lot of money. We could yeah. get that murder castle and still have some left over. Yeah, some left over to decorate it with like corpses. Yeah. <laughs> so, already planning out the decor for our murder castle. Well, you know, it's not really a good, it's not really a home until the first dead body's found. <laughs> exactly. So there were some discrepancies between what Alan envisioned for Poe's future and what Poe envisioned for his future. Uh, Alan wanted him to be a businessman, just like he was. And Poe was like, eh, nah, I'm going to be a writer, dude. I'm going to be a writer. And he loved Lord, Lord Byron, and he would scribble poetry whenever he got a chance. God, I uh, just I identify so much with this portion of his life. Uh, even though nobody was really discouraging me from writing, it was more encouraging, but whatever. Uh, so he starts up a romance with neighbor girl Sarah Elmira Royster when she is 15 and he is 16. They get engaged, but her family really doesn't approve. Even though he's a sort of foster son of a merchant family, he's still a destitute orphan in some people's eyes. Never going to be good for anything. Because <laughs> right? we don't trust anybody clumsy enough to lose both parents. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's a, Oscar Wilde, I believe, has the line in The Importance of Being Earnest that's always stuck with me. And I'm going to butcher this a little bit, but I'm doing my best. Uh, one of the characters says to another one, uh, to lose one parent, Mr. Worthing, may be regarded as a misfortune. Clues both looks like carelessness. Mm. Oscar Wilde. <laughs> he can be kind of bitchy sometimes, and I like it. <laughs> so so uh, while this romance is still going on, uh, Edgar Allan Poe goes off to school at age 17. He goes to the University of Virginia. He is studying ancient and modern languages. But he didn't quite have the money. Uh, Alan only gave him about a third of the money he would need to get by. So he turned to gambling, which gambling was kind of against the rules at the school, but it was newish at the time. So they kind of let everything fly. But it didn't really matter because he really wasn't very good at it. He ended up. There's the no the better way to increase your bank account than by gambling and, and other <laughs> lies. Yeah. Yeah. By the end of that semester, he was burning his furniture for warmth. So definitely lost at least a couple of hands, I would say. I, I would think so. Maybe a foot. <laughs> now, while he, he wasn't good at gambling, he was pretty good at school. He, he had good grades, but he had so much debt that he had to leave. And then 
he went home and he went to see Sarah Elmira Royster, his his wonderful fiance, the the girl next door, who he'd been writing to this entire time. And he finds out, A, she hasn't gotten any of his letters because her father was snatching those up as soon as they came in through the mail slot. I like to think of her father just like sitting there going like, I wish Edward would write to me like this. Like belly down on his bed with his feet kicked up, like and and my dearest, oh, and he just shakes his feet. <laughs> I like it. But uh, yeah, at this point, uh, Sarah was already engaged to, or possibly already married to, another man. It's again sources very wildly that came off weird. I don't care. It's it's spooky ween. Whatever, anything goes. <laughs> So now he's got no money, no girl. He's out of school. Everything's looking pretty shitty for Poe. And then his he returns. His car is broke down. <laughs> his <laughs> dog is lost. He's trying to sell. He, like, he bought himself a PlayStation 5 to try to make himself feel better, but it just turned out to be like somebody taped a PlayStation 2 and 3 together. And it was. <laughs> Until the PlayStation 5, this was sounding a lot like a country song. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> so he goes back home to the Allen household, but things are really tense there. And so after a few months, he's back out again. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to go be a famous writer. And I'm going to live an adventurous life. So you can take your upper class snobbiness and shove it up your ass. Or, you know, something probably... A, a little better worded than that because he was articulate and shit. So I'm gonna go make my own life with blackjack and hookers. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. <laughs> now he does two things toward that end. He publishes uh, Tamerlane and other poems anonymously at age 18, and he joins the army under a fake name. So, for some reason, doing nothing under his own name. Kind of weird. I don't fully understand the reasoning here. Like, mm. I'm going to go make a name for myself, but not use my name to do it. Okay. Uh, you know, he's been, he's not been treated well by those around him. And I think at this point, Poe's a little bit timid and afraid. And maybe Poe's doing this as like a kind of a thing of like, I don't want them to know I'm successful yet. Because this, the, as soon as I get like even a whiff of success... They're going to come after me for some of it, and they're going to drag me back down. That, that's my thinking. For the longest time, I didn't go by my name because, quite simply, I didn't want my family to find me. Yeah, maybe it was just trying to disassociate himself from them because he didn't really feel like they were much of a family to him in, in many ways. Harbor Freight still thinks my name is Castleman Davis to this day. <laughs> too embarrassed to tell him to change it. <laughs> Let them think that. Let them have their illusions. Yep. So for he keeps writing and publishing. He spends about two years in the army. He has three years left on his contract, but after two years, he wants out. So he finally just spills everything to his commanding officer. You know that this is not my real name, and I'm, there's a rift with my foster father. And the commanding officer is like, "Okay, yeah, I'll let we'll let you go, but only if you make up with your daddy." This seems weird. That does seem really weird. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't like it. I wasn't comfortable with that. So, Poe starts writing letters to John Allen, and John Allen ignores them all until 
Francis dies in 1829. And finally, he's like, okay, you can be discharged and everything's all fine with us, sort of. And you're going to go to West Point. But things are still pretty turbulent. Uh, Alan remarries. That's not going over too well with him and Poe. And then Alan eventually, after many fights, disowns him. And this is about eight months after Poe has been at West Point. And he's like, fine, I'll just go get myself court-martialed and kicked out. (laughs) And that's what he does. Good for him. Thinking outside the box. Yeah. 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 There was a strategic aspect to it, but it also did seem at the same time kind of um, reckless and impulsive. But he was young. And that's how you are when you're young. And especially if you had that. I did that when I was 13. I got I got me and my brother kicked out of our school because Adam Adam was getting bullied like relentlessly. So uh, I, I got us kicked out by doing terrible things. It worked. There you go. It's it strategic. Works, but like, <laughs> it is. Strategery. <laughs> Tell us more about the horrible things, Amber. Not on air. <laughs> I promise to edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> Nope, still recorded. <laughs> Not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> she, she is way too smart for the likes of us. So where do you go when you're down? Because at this point, he still has nowhere to go. Well, he goes to family, but he's not going to go to Allen. Instead, he goes to Baltimore, which was where his father was from. And it starts off kind of bad. He meets up with a cousin, and that cousin's like, hey, going to rob you blind, and then bye. Uh, but then things start to look up when his aunt Maria Clem takes his takes him in, and she very much becomes a mother figure to him. And she has a daughter, Virginia, so that would be Poe's cousin. And Virginia is very helpful in Poe's love life. He's trying to he's sending letters to some potential love interests and such. And so she's sort of the the go between, the delivery girl. She'll take the letters back and forth. But then. That, that delivery route, it got a little bit shorter because then they started things up together. Mm. So, mm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, okay, mm-hmm. so what makes this really disturbing to me is wasn't she, if I remember this right, wasn't she only like 13 or something she, like that? Yeah. She was, in fact, 13. And related. Yeah. And related. And a cousin. So it's it's double trouble here. It is, yeah, pretty gross. But uh, John Allen died sometime in this period of time, and Poe did not get a cent from the will. He was completely cut out, but the illegitimate kid did, so that must have stuck in his cross some. But I hope they he just kept on. Public- and the bastard John Stevenson receives my stamp collection in these dead butterflies. <laughs> <laughs> It was probably, and the bastard John Stevens receives these human beings. Oh, look at that. Look at that hearty stock. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So Poe keeps on publishing stories and poems, and he's networking, and he manages to snag a job at the uh, Southern Literary Messenger, a, a magazine in Richmond, and he's in the editorial department. And this is, this is kind of uh, what he wants to do, but as far as publishing stories is concerned and getting, getting his shit into print, it's kind of tough at this point because there is no international copyright law. So the publishers are like, well, 
if it's not against the law, we'll just steal work from the Brits and put it in our magazine. And then we don't have to pay anybody anything, including American writers. So, and then when they did actually publish American writers, they treated them badly. You know, it's like, where's, where's my money? <laughs> and it's like, well, the check's in the mail in 20 years. <laughs> mm, so we're sorry. not a great time. Not really. We're not really <laughs> sorry. So he does start to make a name for himself and for the messenger because he writes these book reviews in which he just lashes out with an acid tongue. Uh, he hits it, you know, every author, including, and he doesn't just hit at their work. He gets personal too. And uh, one of his reviews of note, this is going to come up quite a bit later, but just keep in mind the name Rufus Griswold, who is an anthologist and was the target of one of these reviews, because he uh, is a man who knows how to hold a grudge. So, in his personal life, uh, he does marry his cousin, Virginia, in 1836. Gross. She is 13. <laughs> yeah, it's so gross. She is 13 years old, but lists her her age as 21 on the marriage license, and he is 26. Why did you write the word wink after your age? <laughs> right. Creeps. Ew. Now, there are some arguments as to the levels and nature of love in this relationship. Okay. It goes across the board. He he married a child. He was literally twice her age. This is so gross. And they're related. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I agree on all those points. I'm just saying that there are some people who say, judging by the correspondence of, you know, between them and correspondence of them to other people, that their relationship was more like a brother and sister. There are other people who say that they were deeply in love with each other. And some people who say that she died a virgin. So really... Like I said, it goes across the board. But even if the relationship is brother and sister, that still that somehow actually makes it worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there are certain things we've all done stupid stuff, you know. But this is kind of taking the cake. But you know, like whenever my niece showed me her new baby, and I like kind of held it out, and I said, "No thanks, I'm not a pedophile." You know, Scott, that is your cousin. I'm not into incest either. <laughs> oh God. Oh, dear me, oh, dear but me. that didn't bother Poe one little bit in either of those. No, no. So, uh, despite uh, grossing out the rest of us, they're, they're pretty happy together, it would seem. Uh, but uh, financially, it is kind of rough. He's actually she's not old enough to work. Yeah. The child well, labor yes, that. Well, <laughs> if there would have been child labor laws, she couldn't have worked. Now, could she? No, but there weren't yet, so she probably could. <laughs> And then she's Wait, just being lazy, time I guess. A 13-year-old had to lie about her age to get married, but not to get a 60-hour-a-week job. Just be sure to lick the radium brush really, really well. <laughs> exactly. Now, I don't, I don't have any record of her having a job at any point in time, but that is the reality, that she could have had a, a job, but she had to lie about her age in order to get married. So not that she should have done either, obviously. But so, yeah. Um, he's actually trying to do something that no one in America had really done before. He's trying to make a living just from writing. That was like writing was a side thing. It was something you did for pleasure. And if you got a few cents from it, then good for you. Bully. Keep at it. But actually being a professional writer was kind of unheard of here. And he wants to do this. Now, 
he is looking for some better writing work. So he hops around in New York City and Philadelphia and people do know his name and these places, but still there's not quite money coming in. For example, he published Tales of the Grotesque and Arabesque in 1840 and he was paid in copies, 25 to be exact. So I uh, just would like uh, people to know that's not payment. But you can eat the books. <laughs> Leather binding, plenty of protein. There are professional writing organizations uh, in America today in which you cannot have a membership as an actual professional unless you have been published at certain specific rates, like rates per word. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely has been something that's still kind of a problem ongoing. I, I'm, I'm subscribed on Facebook to several different you know, like calls for submissions for writers. And you see not only stuff where it's like, you know, we're, we're paying one cent a word. And you, you also see and not only that, but it's for an anthology that is so ridiculously specific as to the content. Like Amazon babes fighting zombies. What? Who has that sitting around in their drawer? And I'm not going to write it specifically for you because I can't send that anywhere else, you know? <laughs> like, now, now, what about people that, like, publish on Kindle? Can they, uh, can they like, join those groups? If Amazon's paying you a certain amount per word, it would have to be, you know, if there's certain rates uh, at which you get paid and then it levels, like, say you get paid a uh, dollar for every person that reads it till the end. And then you'd have to do the math on that. If it's, you know, 50,000 words, you would have to get up to a certain number of people having read it and having gotten that probably. I don't know for sure if they're, if they're counting Kindle on that, but I would think by this point they would have to be. Okay, because like my, my erotic fiction based on the R.L. Stein series Goosebumps, you know, it's doing <laughs> kind of well right now. Oh, my. Oh my. <laughs> read, my, read this week's newest novels, Finger Banged by a Skeleton, I I Came a Ghost, and, and of course, the, uh, a, a Dick with Bat Wings. Those, those are my new ones this week. Oh my. I'm, I'm disturbed. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think you're just. Poe is like. Poe is like. <laughs> Poe is like, this is ridiculous, which um, I'm having that same thought in my head right now, but about other stuff. <laughs> and <laughs> he starts really devoting himself to the cause of advocating for better pay and better copyright law for writers. And one thing he always wanted to do was to start his own literary journal. He was constantly through the years looking for money for that. Uh, he, he never quite managed to really get his own off the ground, but we'll see a little bit. He came close. Um and then in 1845 came The Raven, as you all, you, you've all read it or heard it at some point. And I, I read the last stanza in the introduction that you heard. This was his big break. This is generally, if you know Poe, this is what comes to mind immediately. This, and that is, was how this is what made him like a cult classic star. Exactly. This is how Americans actually came to know him. Little and kids he started would follow him down the street, like going, caw, caw. Are you serious about that? Yes. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Poe became known as the Raven. And like little kids would like chase him down the street. And and they I mean Poe loved it. 
<laughs> I love it too. That is wonderful. Good for him. Oh, so yeah, this was his big break. And he also starts, he's been giving lectures and they're selling out. So now he's starting to have leverage to ask for more money for his writing because he is Edgar Allan Poe. He is the Raven. And for all of about two seconds, life is pretty good. He bought out a magazine and he was doing pretty well with that. But it never lasts long, does it? Um, there was some, oh man, things got dramatastic here. Holy, whoa. He, okay, so he had some other possible relationships that may or may not have been romantic. It's really hard to tell. But basically, this nutjob poet named Elizabeth Ellett fell for him, and she just got her fingers into everything and got everything all, everybody all riled up and pissed off at Poe because she was so jealous to the extent that there were lawsuits threatened. He had an actual fist fight with one of his own friends. She was spreading rumors all over that he was insane. I mean, this woman was toxic. Sorry to all the Ellet fans out there. I'll point one of you. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we'll, I'm sure they'll find this episode and we'll get at least one angry email. <laughs> yeah. Lady, you need a fucking life. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and all this stress passed on to Virginia, uh, who I did I did refer to in my notes as Poe's cousin wife. So, sorry, but uh, she got true. sick. It is tr it's true. It's not like it's wrong, but it is all one word even. I didn't even hyphenate. Uh, the magazine was going under. And then to top it all off, there's more gossip, probably spread by Ellet, about him and a married woman having an affair. So he decides to pick up and take his little cousin wifey out to the country. Fresh air. You know, whenever they're sick, the first thing they go to in that day and age is get, get them some fresh air. What do you know? It didn't actually help, though, because in 1847, Virginia succumbed to tuberculosis at the age of 24, which she was 24 and she had been married for 11 years, guys. <laughs> Yuck. Yuck. Ew. I Yuck. vote that we get rid oh. of the phrase cousin wife and start to call it kin skin. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. Now, she said on her deathbed, Mrs. E was my murderer. So, Mrs. Ellett, uh, all that stress, I mean, you can't really say murderer, but it certainly contributed, although tuberculosis, it's going to get you one way or the other, whether you're stressed or you're carefree and, you know, what a, it's, it's going to get you. So, um, grief can really affect creativity, and Poe was not at all immune to that. He really did love Virginia and he depended on her a lot. And now after her death, he was really, really having a hard time writing. And then meanwhile, he's caught, to make matters worse, all the naysayers are just naysaying in the worst possible way. They're like, hey, your wife died. You're probably going to come after her pretty soon. Yeah, I no, you'll, you'll be going to right to the grave. I say to thee, nay. 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 Nay, thou nay. shalt not live. That's what I say to thee, nay. 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 <laughs> nay. Nay. <laughs> nay. See how annoying it is? Do you think you could write with this shit going on? I can't. 
Exactly. <laughs> how am I ever how am I ever going to get my newest novel done? Boneyard bone down. Oh god. He does get the wherewithal to start working on another magazine project. It's going to be called The Stylus, and he is looking for money for this venture. And the Poe Museum actually has a letter written to his foster uncle for this purpose. He's seeking money. It was written uh, about a year before he died. Uh, spoilers, but, you know, you heard the title. Uh, and uh, and also, it's <laughs> a century and a half later. So, um, And he was asking for $200, which is about $6,800 in today's money. So not a small ask. Definitely not. Definitely not. In fall of 1848, the timeline gets a little wonky here, so just bear with me, because a, a couple of different dates, sources very wildly, etc. He goes in fall of 1848 to Rhode Island to see Sarah Helen Whitman. She was another poet. She was also a spiritualist and also a widow. She was six years older than him, and they had actually met in 1845. I love that she dresses in all black and she has a necklace with a coffin-shaped charm. They were made for each other. Yeah. She's so goth. <laughs> <laughs> she's at so least, goth. I love it. She's like she, the original, the original goth. At least she's not <laughs> no, steampunk. The, the original goth was uh Elizabeth Bathory. Well, yeah, you might be right on that, yeah. Um, so, this relationship, again, is pretty turbulent. Uh, her mom did not really approve of a broke poet who, by the way, really liked alcohol, drugs, and gambling. So, they would have to go away from mama's prying eyes. And so, they went to the Providence Athenaum, which was a library. Although, uh, I looked at some pictures online. It's a nice-looking library. That's like... It's nearing library porn right there. And not the kind you're thinking of, Scott. That was the kind I was thinking of, too. You mean Not like, the kind you both are thinking of. You mean like the one I'm trying to get into the Johnstown Library right now that I wrote three days ago? The cave where I blew Bigfoot? <laughs> exactly. That is exactly <laughs> what I'm thinking about. Fair enough. <laughs> so, so they would... <laughs> give me a second. <laughs> You broke Christy. I did, finally. I'm, finally. I'm broken. I'm broken. Okay. <laughs> oh. Did you see the cave blew Bigfoot? No, the what cave where I blew Bigfoot. That's the name of my new story. The cave where I blew Bigfoot. Uh -huh. The cave. And the, oh, man, that's okay. All right. So, um, <laughs> all right. They hang out at the Providence Athenaeum, and this is where, this is kind of adorable. She picks up uh, the American Review, a copy of it, and she's like, oh, there's this poem that I really loved in here. And she shows it to him, and he's like, uh, it's an anonymous poem. He's like, oh, yeah, that's, that's one of mine. So she is just starstruck, and he actually signed the poem and thus defaced library material. Clutch your pearls, librarians. <laughs> With his own... Like, any library would be happy to have, like, an author-signed copy of a book. But not this one. Well, now they are. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> now. Now they and yet are. Yeah, they, they still call it defacing, I think, because it's, a, it's ever so slightly clickbaity. Yeah. 
And you can still find this in the library special collections. Uh, he still was not super emotionally stable. He had a suicide attempt. Uh, he was on his way to see her on the train and he took four doses of laudanum. She nursed him back to health, but then after that, his drinking got in the way. She did not approve at all, and so he swore off the bottle, and that, that didn't last very long at all. But still, after about three months of courting, they are engaged. He, of course, proposed in a cemetery. Of course he did. That is super goth romance right there. Mm -hmm. It is the goth romance. I love it. So, and the wedding was planned for uh, just a few days later on Christmas. So, much cheerier than we would expect. <laughs> so, okay. Is it a spooky Christmas? It must be, yes. Uh, so, then what happens next really depends on what story you believe. Okay. So, there's the story that they were hanging out at the Providence Athenaeum. And somebody tipped her off while they were hanging out that Poe was drinking again. And immediately she cut everything off. Uh, the other story is that the night before their wedding, he got so drunk that he got arrested. And that was the end of everything. One way or the other, it's all over. But I loved this from the Providence Athenaeum website uh, about the first story. I just love the way they, they it's just this whole sequence of events that just it feels so wonderfully over the top and dramatic. Whitman immediately called off the wedding, rushed back to her house, drenched her handkerchief in ether, threw herself on the sofa, and attempted to lose herself in unconsciousness. In spite of Poe's attempts to rouse her, she merely murmured, I love you, before fainting away. Aww. That was dumb. <laughs> so, that was pretty much the end of that. Now, there are dates kind of varying here. This is where I said it's it's a little confusing. There are some dates that say that the next event happened in summer 1848. So that would be before he started courting Whitman. And there are some that say it happened after the engagement broke off. But at some point, he went back to Richmond and he just literally popped in to see Elmira Royster Shelton, the girl next door, his first love. Hmm. After all these years, it's so sweet. Uh, she was also, well, I mean, for the moment. <laughs> Maybe, just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, she was also a widow because literally everyone's a widow. <laughs> it's, it's good to know that these people die so easily. If, if you're, you could if you're not swing a cat without hitting a widow or an orphan. If you're tired of your wife, just wait a week. Although, if you're the kind of person who will swing cats at widows and orphans, then uh, maybe you should uh, reconsider your character. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely want uh, a t-shirt about swinging a cat at widows and orphans. It might happen. Uh, you know what? I, I think we can make that ha happen. Amber? Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'll have Carter draw it up. Fantastic. No, no. I, I was thinking <laughs> you and I could run out tonight and do it. Okay, I'll do it. You take Are you pictures? Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I didn't, I didn't mean reality, but sure, okay. I said I look down on people who do it. I didn't say I look down on people who wear t-shirts depicting it, so. Christy, Christy thinks we're not going to do it for real. I, I know, I have two kids. We can just dress them up like orphans. It'll be fine. I have five cats. <laughs> <laughs> now, 
So Elmira is a pretty wealthy widow. Her husband had left her and her two surviving children. Uh, they'd had four, but of course, two perished. Uh, an estate coming to $100,000. Did either of you look up how much that is in today's money? God, no. no. Do you want to guess? I like the guessing game. I love it. $100,000. I'm going to say $100,000. I'm going to say $1.7 million. $1.2 million. You both need to add a couple million to your estimates. It is three. Point five million in oh. today's money. Oh, okay. Damn, Shit. Scott wins. But it's kind of not out of my prize. One dollar. Right. <laughs> oh, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but if she remarries, it's actually kind of closer to your suggestions because uh, there's a clause that she'll lose three quarters of it in that case, which is just so mean. That, I hate those clauses. That is not that mean. That is incentive to not marry. Like, why would you want to get married again anyway? Keep your money. Be happy. But it's also like, I'm dead. I don't want you to ever be with anybody again, even though you you, you could have 20, 30, 40 years ahead of you. Now, you know what? Nothing in the closet says she can't get that wiener in sin. Right? I mean, that is true. That's what I was thinking. Just don't file the paperwork. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of uncertain. Like I said, the dates, I'm not sure if there's some overlap there or not, but it's uncertain whether he was courting both uh, Elmira and Helen at the same time. But he did come back to Elmira and they ended up coming to an understanding by September of 1849. Um, Poe said, quote, I think she loves me more devotedly than anyone I ever knew. I cannot help loving her in return. Which is so sweet. Mm. This episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. We've been playing a ton of Best Fiends lately. It's fantastic because anyone can play it. That is absolutely right. It's made for adults, but it's so bright and colorful and super approachable. I love how it challenges your brain with these fun puzzle levels, but it's nice and casual, so it doesn't stress you out. Now, I haven't found the amazing up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA select start of Best Fiends, and I did try it. So do you guys have any <laughs> tips or tricks for our fellow Best Fiends players? I'm asking for a friend, wink. <laughs> Indeed. So, okay, when you have the bombs and you have multiple bombs in your playing field, try not to double up on them when possible. So when you're exploding one, try to make sure that you don't have a second one in the exploding range because you generally get more points by setting them off separately. Writing that down for a friend? For a friend. For a friend. For a friend. And now it's everyone's favorite time. Level check. Uh, 1995. Wow. I'm such a plebe. 733. 1412. Christy, you are leaving us in your dust. So engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. 
Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Drinking is still kind of a problem relationship-wise, so he joins the Richmond Sons of Temperance. And on September 26th, uh, she sees him. He comes to her house, and I have her quote about this. He came up to my house on the evening of 26 September to take leave of me. He was very sad and complained of being quite sick. I felt so wretched about him all of that night, and I went up early the next morning to inquire after him when, much to my regret, he left in the boat for Baltimore. So yeah, he was headed to Baltimore, possibly also Philadelphia. There's some confusion there. But before he left that same night, he did stop to visit a doctor friend and have a little chat. Then when he left, he accidentally, question mark, switched their canes. Which is really interesting because the doctor's cane had a sword in it. Dun, dun, dun. That's something I can use to get booze. (laughs) Now, this is not Chekhov's sword gun. This does not actually come into play. Or sword gun? No, cane sword. There we go. Um, If any writers will know Chekhov's gun, the idea that if you see a gun in the first act, somebody needs to fire it in the third act. This doesn't, nobody ever stabs anybody with this, this cane sword that we know of but it is so badass you know like that's like a sherlock move where you switch the canes on your way out the door and take the weapon like that really yeah. is that really is so he goes to dinner with some friends who said he was quote quite sober and cheerful to the last end quote and then he leaves for baltimore maybe with an end destination of philly or something uh, there were statements made that he had $1,500 on him when he left Richmond. That's $52,000 in today's money. Which he had collected for subscriptions to his magazine. And another statement that he'd gotten a small advance for an article. Now, there's some questions about that because the magazine subscription was $5 a person. So that would be 300 subscriptions. And he had never done that well. Even with his name recognition, it seems a little unreasonable that he would have that much. But uh, that if that money was with him, it later disappeared. So uh, one way or the other, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Don't you worry. Um, on September 28th, he gets to Baltimore and the conductor of the train was later questioned and said that he thought that there were two men following Poe off the train. And about a week went by before anybody really heard from him. It was about five days before he was finally found. Um, it was in a pub and it was actually time for electing. Now sources said the Baltimore sheriff But uh, the Baltimore City Sheriff for that period served from 1848 to 51. So he had been elected the previous year. And then I couldn't find anything about the Baltimore County Sheriff. Those archives uh, aren't, uh, I couldn't find anything there. So I wasn't really sure if that was true or not, but who cares? It was October 3rd. There was an election being held and it was being held in a pub. Uh, They would use pubs for polling stations and often would give the voters a drink in return for voting. Guys. Yeah, that's how we get the turnout. 
right? Mm -hmm. Come on, what are we thinking? Let's let's do that. <laughs> I mean, I'm 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 definitely voting, and I'll give myself a drink as a reward, I guess. Honest and to God, I'll, I'll... after this election is over, I'm going to need a, f a few. To be quite honest with everyone, <laughs> <laughs> we're all going to need so much boost to get through this. Christ. Oh my God, yeah, Jesus Christ, everything. I fuck, I just. Uh, any capable I adult, see... any capable adult at this point, I'm gonna vote for the fucking fly on on Pence's head. I want to see the numbers as far as booze sales, especially in swing states, and how much they increase in the run up to November, and then probably afterwards because of, you know, the time it takes for mail in voting and ballot counting and everything. I just want to see the, the the booze numbers and. <laughs> Like somebody needs to be counting that for me, please. It's and ever it increasing, I would bet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the pub is being used for a polling station. Uh, here is a fun note about this pub. It still stands today. And it is called... Oh, give me a second. I have it. Have it. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Where did it go? Maybe it's actually right there. And I scroll down to the bottom thinking... Well, it's called the, the horse you came in on. Was it Yeah. Damn. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Uh, so he was found there, either in the pub or in the gutter, sources very wildly, by a Joseph W. Walker, who said that he was, quote, in great distress and in need of immediate assistance. Uh, and he, this gentleman, Walker, asked Poe, is there anybody you know in town who can help you? I just like Composed to think like that Joe is super drunk. Yeah, your mom. <laughs> well, that was not what happened. Pose like Joseph E. Snodgrass, who uh, this gentleman edited in a magazine, and he was probably a doctor. If he wasn't a doctor, he had some medical training. Sometimes he's referred to as a doctor and sometimes not, so it's hard to tell. But So Walker sent a message to Snodgrass, uh, there is a gentleman, rather the worse for wear, at Ryan's Fourth Ward polls, who goes under the cognomen of Edgar A. Poe and who appears in great distress. And he says he is acquainted with you. He is in need of immediate assistance. Yours in haste, Joseph W. Walker. I love how he even signs it. Like he has time. He's like, well, yeah, I have a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so Snodgrass comes and checks out Poe and says, well, he's super drunk. So we're going to send him off to Washington Medical College. It's no longer Washington Medical College. I can't remember the name of what it actually is, but I did look up on the map. It's only about a mile away from the pub. And for four days, Poe languished there in the hospital, far from home, um, although actually also kind of at home in a way. Uh, delirious. Uh, he was never really able to explain what had happened. He was never able to get that sort of awareness. And he also was never able to explain why he was wearing secondhand clothing, not the clothes he had last been seen in. It was, but it was he still had really the sword strange. cane. Yeah, still, still had the sword cane. It was really strange. And it was, I always thought, like, I, I've known the story, like the, the death of Poe. I always thought the last words were kind of telling. I think towards the end, he realized what had happened. He'd, he'd put it all together. And his last words are, Lord, help my poor soul. I did find one somewhat more unlikely option for the last words. Oh, I saw that. <laughs> he was a poet, so. so if you're ready for this. 
He who arched the heavens and upholds the universe has his decrees legibly written upon the frontlet of every human being and upon demons incarnate. Bullshit. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, but like, I wasn't going to tell you. <laughs> right, I'm going to say, Lord help my poor soul may have been the second last words, but you can't put, I ship myself on a tombstone. Yeah. <laughs> well, you He would also say, no, you shouldn't. He would also say the name Reynolds. That was really one of the few things that they could get out of him. He just kept on saying the, the name Reynolds. The only Reynolds that really is associated with him, we actually talked a little bit about in the tiny, was an explorer who Poe used some of that explorer's journals for his only novel. So, yeah, like, not really seeing the connection. The novel had been written well over a decade before. It, it, it could have just been that he was just out of his out of his mind, you know, and not really, that just was one of those random things from his brain that kept on popping up. So four days after he was found, he died at the hospital. It was October 7th, 1849, and he was 40 years old. The cause of death was listed in the papers as congestion of the brain, which basically was a euphemism for alcoholism. And we don't really have any other records because all of them, including the death certificate, are long gone. So we can't use any of that as information to try and solve what is really kind of a mystery here. And uh, now, uh, before we get to theories, uh, a couple of other things. Uh, Griswold, that I mentioned earlier, good old Rufus Griswold, he of the grudge holding, he wrote an absolutely nasty obituary and then an actual full biography of Poe trying to slander him, said Poe was a womanizer, he was a drunk, he was friendless, everybody hated him. And all that served to do was make Poe even more popular with the public. So... Dick it, Griswold! That's <laughs> what I have to say. <laughs> Fuck you, Griswold. Right? And Sarah Whitman, Sarah Helen Whitman, defended him posthumously. Uh, she wrote a book about his work and helped his biographer by giving him letters. And their portraits hang together at the Providence Athenium. Love that. People in Richmond called Elmira Royster Poe's Lenore after the uh, the poem Lenore because there's all kinds of questions. Any poem of his that seem to reference love or a woman, it's always which woman, which love, you know, or all of them or something. Uh, but when she died in 1888, so yeah, she still had uh, a lot of years after her husband died during which she could have remarried. Uh, her obituary was titled... Poe's first and last love. Hmm. It, it is it is sweet, but I'm also kind of not big on identifying the poor woman by her association with the one particular man. It's kind of like, well, but she was a complex human being with you know thoughts, feelings, needs, etc. Not, <laughs> not back then. Not back then. Not back then. That's right. We were just uh, just blank impressions. They could put whatever they wanted on us. Yeah. About so. Time. <laughs> so, and then there's also, of course, the famous poem, Annabelle Lee. Controversy as to who inspired that. Was it Royster? Was it Whitman? Was it Virginia? Uh, and or, or two other possible romantic interests that people argue about. Um, 
the thing was is that he tried not to be super obvious about anything in his work. He didn't like it when the meaning was obvious. And so we really don't know. The, the poem itself does seem to reference a woman being taken away by those like older and wiser, which really has the feeling of, uh, of Elmira Royster. But then there's also a, a death, and I'm going to read, Because I Have the Excuse, the last stanza of Annabelle Lee. For the moon never beams without bringing me dreams of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. And the stars never rise, but I feel the bright eyes of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. And so, all the night tide, I lay down by the side of my darling, my darling, my life and my bride, in her sepulchre there by the sea, in her tomb by the sounding sea. That definitely implies a death, but death could also be metaphorical. So that could mean that it was Elmara. So really, we really don't know who he was writing about or if it was an amalgamation, which really I would think is probably the most likely case. Yeah, yeah. It's Look, just because he wrote about somebody doesn't mean that person had to exist. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the whole point of imagination, you know, right. It can reality can inspire it. But that doesn't mean that everything we write has to be specific to one individual. So. So, yeah, there's lots of theories. Um, We're going to go into uh, Natasha Galing on Smithsonian Magazine, rounded up the top nine theories. But then um Another the, another set that's generally listed is delirium tremens, heart disease, epilepsy, syphilis, meningeal inflammation, cholera, and rabies. So, I mean, that's just the general. But here we're going to dive into some of the, the what Natasha Galen calls the top nine. And I, this is pretty fascinating. So, number one, a beating. And the theory goes that some woman either took offense at something said or did, or maybe he cheated on her or something like that. And so she had someone beat him and then he proceeded to lapse into brain fever or he was just robbed and beaten, which if he actually had that money on him, that would explain where that went. But did he have bruises? That's not really stated anywhere. As far as I can tell, I could, I probably could have dug deeper, but some of the material I read dug pretty deep, so... Not not every beating that you give, though, leaves bruises. If you hit somebody with a telephone book, and I get it, like, a lot of people aren't going to know the telephone books we had as kids, you know, but, like, a, a thick paperback book, that's not going to leave a bruise. Uh, if you hit somebody with a bag of oranges, it'll knock them, knock them silly, but it's not going to leave a bruise. And just knocking someone on the back of the head... I mean, we saw with that one case, they all blend together at this point, but that one case uh, with the love triangle in Canada and then London, that, you know, the hit to the back of the head with the mallet and the doctors didn't realize it until they actually like he had him at the hospital and cleaned off his head. Maybe Poe could have gotten hit in the back of the head just once with something heavy enough to, you know, make him really mess things up in his skull and in his brain, but not quite kill him just yet until the, you know, cerebral hemorrhage got to him over time. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. But just saying if they didn't look, they wouldn't find it. One of the theories that I always had in the back of my head, if on the nights that I look at his death and I kind of think he was beat to death, I kind of think that a bunch of cops caught him drunk and just had a bit of fun with him because I'll tell you what, at that time, 
there was nobody as good at hiding bruises and beatings as as the cops. That's a really interesting theory. I, I, I think that one has a lot of merit. Uh, the next one, number two, is a, a thing I'd n- not really heard of before, but I'm not surprised. Cooping. This was when gangs would kidnap people and then put them in disguises and have them vote multiple times at multiple places. And it was called cooping because they had a room where they would keep them all, the coop, between votes. And the methods that they used to gain compliance were violence and alcohol and opium. And Poe really didn't do well with booze. It was said that he could have one glass of wine and he would be like completely out of it. See, I like this theory a little bit just for the fact that he was wearing somebody else's clothes, which would be like the weekend at Bernie's shit that they would do to take him to different polling places. He was found outside of a polling location on election day. Yes, this one does seem to have a lot of evidence in its favor. For instance, his cousin was later referenced in letters between researchers and scholars stating that the cousin knew the facts, but was likely to stay quiet, but that it was election related. There's also some scuttlebutt, no names or anything, but some rumors that someone affiliated with one of these gangs later confessed to their family about it. And newspapers from the time warned specifically about cooping at the fourth ward he was at the fourth ward polling place i like this one a lot Mm -hmm. but i actually combine this with another one so i will wait till you get to the next one (laughs) okay all right And then number three was booze. Like I said, and he and his sister were the same. Neither of them could really handle their booze at all. And it did seem that in Richmond, he had fallen ill due to alcohol. And the doctor was like, one more, quote unquote, attack will kill you. And this was really the consensus among his friends. One of them wrote, quote, a bright but unsteady light has been awfully quenched, end quote. And that feels kind of like it's intimating something there. But as uh, Natasha Galing points out, that brings into question the vanishing act and especially the different clothes. They don't really make a whole lot of sense. You have to kind of do some some mental gymnastics to get there. And also samples of his hair uh, were examined and they only found low levels of lead, which implies that he wasn't drinking before he died. So we actually have some science in here. Mm-hmm. Finally. That Yeah, then even more science here. Number four, carbon monoxide from coal gas. And there were more tests here, but again, nothing really conclusive. Number five, heavy metal poisoning. He did have high levels of mercury, but he had also been prescribed calomel, also known as mercury chloride. But even with all that, the mercury levels in his hair were 30 times below the levels you'd need for actual mercury poisoning. So that feels like a probably no. Six is definitely interesting, especially in the way it came about. And that's the rabies theory. Now, the way this was actually brought up was a doctor was at a pathology conference where they would give each doctor a profile of a patient Here's the patient, give them like their occupation and their symptoms, and they would have to diagnose this patient. 
So one doctor got a writer with the initials EP of Richmond, and the symptoms included confusion plus lethargy that then progressed to hallucinations, delirium, shallow breathing, and then death four days after the onset of symptoms. The doctor was like, well, clearly this is rabies. And only after that did he find out that the subject was Poe. Hmm. Now, I know it's quite the interesting conundrum here because there were no signs of hydrophobia, which is a classic symptom of rabies. He actually was drinking water um, at the hospital. And but one of the, uh, the a former Poe House Museum curator, Jeff Jerome, he is like, OK, really, of all the theories we have, this is the only one where somebody has looked at the patient and the symptoms without all of the baggage from Poe, like Poe's name obviously carries a ton of baggage, you know, and so without all of that history, some of which may or may not be true, and then you have just the pure symptoms, it does feel like a more uh, true possible diagnosis, I guess. Yeah, well, there was actually one source that said on, on his last days, he was having difficulty drinking water. And uh, somebody made the leap that that could have been the rabies characteristic, the fear of water. But it also could be that he was dying and just having a really hard time drinking. Yeah, it could go either way on that. Number seven is pretty uh, horrifying. Uh, it is a brain tumor. Uh, I like this was... one. This is the one that <laughs> I am combining with cooping. <laughs> oh, interesting. Well, yeah, tumor that seems cooping. like a possibility. <laughs> Well, no, I, I think he had the brain tumor. And I think when when he got hit with when he was cooping, that he had trouble recovering because of the brain tumor. Mm, That's my makes theory. sense. Well, the reason that this theory came about was because 26 years after he was buried in an unmarked grave, they decided to memorialize him better. And they, so they exhumed him and were moving him to a new grave site. But everything was pretty much falling apart. And that includes both uh, Poe's corpse and the coffin. And one of the workers who was helping with this, he noted something rolling around inside but it's not the brain, because that's actually one of the first parts of the body to start rotting. However, tumors can calcify after death. That's something I didn't Gross. need to know. Exactly. Yes. I think the now, only way so it would be worse if it was one of those tumors that had teeth and an eye. <laughs> uh, yep, you made it worse. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. It's what I do. Good job. <laughs> so... Now, supposedly, Poe's issues with alcohol had been explained to him by one physician as being caused by a lesion on the brain. But it's not like this doctor was actually x-raying him or giving him an MRI or a CT scan or anything. It was probably just the usual doctor explanation of, well, this happened once to somebody. That's probably what's happening to you. My spirit guide told me the lesions on your brain are being caused by your humors being off. Now, allow me to stick my fingers on your head and tell you what your personality is, which actually is kind of funny because Poe sometimes incorporated phrenology into his work, so. Let me feel your bumps. <laughs> Come on over here and let me jam this ice pick into your frontal lobe and wiggle it. Very scientific. <laughs> very, very professional. Uh, number eight is the flu. Uh, some people said, uh, as we have from Elmira, that he was sick before he left Richmond, although... 
others said otherwise. But uh, Elmira said he had a fever and he had kind of a thready pulse. And a doctor he saw, which I'm I'm guessing is the same one at the cane sword, but it wasn't specific, told him not to travel, which he then did. And so there's the thought that maybe he already had the flu and then it was rainy when he was in Baltimore and that may have led to pneumonia. Um, I think I said nine, but for some reason I have 10 uh, because I think I incorporated something from another article in here. So uh, there was speculation about other illnesses. Like I mentioned a couple at the, at the top of this particular section, his doctor's later statements implied uh, that it was some kind of encephalitis or meningitis uh, that caused it. And then number 10, straight out cold blooded here it is this is why we're old-timey crimey people exactly you thought you were listening to the old-timey stupid medical things podcast i mean pretty much the way they did medicine back then was a crime in and of itself that's true yeah that's that's definitely very true yes bleed him out with leeches oh i see you got a splinter in your toe (laughs) off with the leg Bite oh, you're coughing? That must be the demons in your blood. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Have this laudanum. So, oh, did that laudanum not do the trick? Allow me to give you some cocaine. Uh-huh. <laughs> we have it in this handy dandy caramel drink called Coca-Cola. The coca means cocaine. <laughs> okay, so the murder theory actually goes back to Elmira Shelton. Her brothers didn't really approve of the relationship, and the theory goes that they took matters into their own hands. Now, this theory comes from John Evangelist Walsh. What? Okay, with the with the middle name, but sure. Um, in a 2000 book, and the theory goes: All right, Poe actually did get to Philly, but then Elmira's brothers found him and threatened him. So. He disguised himself with secondhand clothes and hid out until he thought the coast was clear. He was heading back to Richmond to marry Elmira, but the brothers found him in Baltimore, poured some whiskey down his throat, and then beat him up and left him to die. Now, researchers and historians, they pretty much have looked at this theory and they've said, I'm going to give it a solid meh. That's something like, that actually could have happened in a, you know, with a real non-zero possibility. Yes. Yes. Like, they're basically like, okay, maybe, but we need more evidence to convince us. So the, the book didn't quite do the trick for most Poe scholars. So those are the theories. And now, uh, what do you guys think? I honestly think, I honestly think he was drunk. And a bunch of cops roughed him up. And I'm sticking with uh, the cooping theory, but I also think he had a brain tumor, and I think that's why he did not recover from the beating. I'm going to go with cooping plus flu and pneumonia. I don't know why, just because I felt like it. Um, so, all right. So those are our theories. I'm going to give you a couple more uh, bits and pieces on Poe, specifically one of my favorite things, the Poe toaster. Well, one of my favorite things that got a little ruined. Yeah, oh, it doesn't that suck the... Oh. The Poe toaster. Now, as stated, Poe was moved from an unmarked grave to a nicer spot with a statue 26 years after his death in 1875. Then, 
Around 1949, or at least this is when it started being noticed, someone started visiting the grave on Poe's birthday, January 19th, every year. This person became known as the Poe Toaster. Now, these visits would happen between midnight and 6 a.m., and the toaster wore all... That sounds funny. (laughs) The toaster wore all black, except for a white scarf. The brave little toaster. (laughs) Uh, but And also there was a black hat. There's actually a picture, very, very blurry, that uh, was in Time magazine that you can find of this. We'll try and put it on the social media. A small crowd would gather to watch as the visitor drank a toast of cognac, then left the rest of the bottle and three red roses on Poe's grave. Now, as for the cognac, there's no apparent reason that didn't really pop up in any of his works that anybody's found. Maybe they just liked cognac. And then the roses are theorized to be one for each person buried there because Poe is not alone. He is buried with Virginia and her mother, Maria Clem, who kind of became his surrogate mother as well. And who was also his mother-in-law. So, um, yeah, and his aunt. Wow, that's uh, still gross. Um, The Poe toaster often left notes at the grave. And in 1993... A note was left that stated that this was the end for the first toaster and the torch had been passed. And in 1998, a note stated the the original toaster had died and his sons had taken it up. But uh, people have to ruin everything. And uh, they did. They didn't really stick to tradition. Sometimes the notes would have a political bent or would reference sports using like references to Poe's work, for instance. All right, for this, you need to know, uh, the, this is in Baltimore. The Baltimore Ravens name comes from Poe's work, which is kind of funny that football is like, hey, literature, you can do one thing for us. Um, could, it could have been worse. And then a, it could have been a lot worse. I mean, we have the Washington Redskins. It could have been, it could have been like, you know, yeah. the, the Baltimore not freed slaves. Yeah, right. And then also, if you've ever read uh, Post the Mask of Red Death, uh, this will sound fa- fairly familiar. So this note said, the New York Giants, darkness and decay and the big blue hold dominion overall. So this really pissed a lot of Baltimore people off because this is basically the big blue would be the New York Giants. And they're using Poe's work to denigrate the, the, the Ravens. And yeah, it's just it's stupid and it, it totally trashes the whole tradition to me. Could not agree more. I, absolutely. The tradition is to go and toast Poe and leave him some fucking flowers. Not talk shit about your sports teams. Yeah, yeah. It's so shallow and disrespectful to a man who had such a legacy in this city and in other places. And, and literally speaking, <laughs> I'm just making up and, words. Now. And also <laughs> someone who did not give a shit about football. <laughs> right? Right. Poe was a straight out and out nerd like us. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah. Pisses me off to this day, especially because I had actually wanted to see the Poe toaster and then um, they, they sort of, they ruined it with that shit. I'm still getting the battery low notice just so you guys know, um, but I'm almost done. This stopped entirely in 2009 and then in 2016 and on a high note, the Maryland Historical Society uh, held auditions for a new Poe toaster who would head up a big celebration. Uh, they did move the ce- celebration to the weekend if the birthday didn't fall on a, on, on a weekend. And for the first one, 
a toaster that they chose, did the usual ritual with the cognac and the roses, and then added a performance of Danse Macabre by Camille Sansen on the violin, and then left the violin at the grave along with the roses and the cognac. Hmm. That would be a really expensive tradition. Now, if you're rich. <laughs> so, so yeah, that is... Do you guys have anything else? I do. I have a fun fact. Okay, if I disappear, I'll try to find other headphones it's, and come back. It's just very quick. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe's cat could not live without him. And uh, upon learning that, that Poe had died, his mother-in-law discovered that his uh, beloved cat, Katerina, had also died. He named his cat. I Katarina. thought you said it was. Yeah, that's what it says. Cat arena. Cat arena. Yes, C A T T E R I N A. You you know you so, uh, you get me with the pedophile and the incest, and then you turn it all around with the puns. That's. I didn't do this. I know. I, <laughs> I know you didn't do this. I'm talking about Poe. <laughs> Can we discuss how Amber thinks that a cat dying is a fun fact? It is a fun fact. His cat couldn't <laughs> no, live without I, him. And his cat's name was Katarina. <laughs> I think it's a bittersweet fact. And the, the fun part does come from the cat's name. Yeah. So, all right. Is that everything, guys? Uh, yeah. You know what? I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Okay, then. Wow. Okay. Must be bad. So, <laughs> all right. Yeah, so thank you so much for joining us for this episode that I've been looking forward to for so, so long. It's just seriously, I, I'm i sad that it's over, but I'm happy that I got to do it. And uh, yeah, I guess we've already done all of uh, the spiel uh, up at the front of the episode. So what you guys doing this weekend? I am just hanging out with my lady. I've got three, I've got three weeks with Ariana, and I am going to enjoy every last single second of them. That is so wonderful. Oh, and I'm going to meet her in person this weekend, probably. So Hopefully. I've already got it in my calendar. <laughs> fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah. I am so. also hopefully going to be spending time with Scott's lady this weekend at some point. That sounded um, filthy, but I'm all for it. <laughs> so i'm hoping i get i get to catch up with them on a sunday or monday so we'll have to see what the schedules belie for us so yes i'm i'm also doing uh that and then i'm probably gonna work on i got some detectives by the decade stuff oh i didn't say that at the top of the episode detectives by the decade check it out my other podcast forensic history you might like it um but yeah, and uh, I might start uh, working on some other shirts and stuff for the store. It's not the shirt. Nah, the words are going away, guys. It's not just shirts uh, in the store. It's shower curtains and socks and cell phone cases and laptop sleeves and uh, blankets and everything you can imagine just about. Um, so, so, yeah, I'm going to be making some more stuff for the, the store. Hopefully some merch for uh, our old-timey, crimey fans to wear or display or sleep under or shower behind. So, yeah, <laughs> all those things. naked with our logo. Yes. And on that note, thank you for listening to our filthy words. We'll see you again next week. Bye. 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 My sources this week are articles by Natasha Galing and Kat Eschner on Smithsonian Magazine, the Poe Museum, Find a Grave, Wikipedia, New England Historical Society, Poetry Foundation, Washington Times, Providence, Athenium, 
Org, the Edgar Allan Poe Society of Baltimore, and Michelle Debchak on Mental Floss. My sources are pbs.org, smithsonianmag.com, wikipedia.org, poemuseum.org, biography.com, and history.com. My sources this week are history.com, poemuseum.org, britannica.com, smithsonianmag.com, openculture.com, icytales.com, nbc12.com, biography.com, nps.gov, and wikipedia.org. This is Cindy Martinez, the host of Welcome to the Neighborhood podcast. Ever since I was young, I've had a passion for true crime and the paranormal. This podcast focuses on cases and stories from different cities while making the Chicagoland my hometown or base. If you find yourself intrigued by crime and all things spooky, find us on Apple, Spotify, and Google. We post new episodes every Friday. Be sure to stop by.